0: Chapters fourteen and fifteen of Black Paul by Ben Ames Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fourteen Black Paul and his daughter were together through that afternoon below in the cabin, and there they cast up the old accounts of the year. And there were times when they were unhappy, but for the most part they were very happy together. There was no more rancor in Black Paul. He loved the world, and he loved his daughter, and he loved the memories she evoked in him. Into these few hours of life, Black Paul compressed more happiness than he had seen for twenty years. He was like a boy again, gay and youthful and mirthful. Yet there was a humility about him and a deference. At dusk he went on deck. Red Paul was there, superintending the work on the bowsprit. Black Paul looked at what was being done, and he said, Good work, Red. There was in him a desire to placate his son, to win back the old comradeship, to redeem Red Paul from the evil that obsessed the man. But the mate looked up at his father's words, and said dourly, I do my work, no fear. Black Paul scowled. For the old quick anger was not entirely dead in him. Nevertheless, he curbed himself and turned away. Red was surprised at this. It was not like the captain. Was his father slacking, weakening, losing his grip? He smiled furtively at his own thoughts, and his heart began to pound. After supper, Black Paul went to his cabin alone. He wanted to sleep he undressed and blew out the whale-oil lamp that hung near his bunk's head and lay down. But there was no sleep in him. He thought of Ruth and could not sleep for happiness. He thought of his son and could not sleep for sorrow and concern. He thought of his wife and he spoke with her in his thoughts. There was a great peace between him and her in this communion in the night. Black Paul was filled with peace even when he thought of his son, he was not disturbed, he was only sorrowful. He no longer blamed himself so bitterly on Red's account. He felt himself, in some measure, absolved. It was as though he had made an atonement. It may have been that he was provisioning the immediate atonement he must make. He loved Red, his son, but in his heart he condemned the man, condemned him with the stern justice which is both justice and love. He had a great faith that Red should never harm Ruth. It was his task to guard her, and if his strength were not sufficient, strength would be given him. There was strength in her, for that matter. Thinking of this daughter of his, he was immensely proud of her. She was a woman, even as her mother had been. He thought, without disloyalty, that she was finer than her mother and she would never come to harm. But, Red, what of him? Black Paul wondered whether to tell Red that Ruth was his sister. He put the thought away. He had a feeling that this would be cowardice and shirking, that the issue was between Red and him. He was like Frankenstein. Red was a monster he had himself created and for which he must take responsibility. He could not beg off. He had somewhat the attitude of the missionary, the man of the church, guessing Ruth was Paul's daughter, had yet kept silent. He had said that he felt the whole matter was in God's hands. Paul thought his problem was the same. He found peace in the thought. He could do his duty as he saw it, no more. He said softly in the darkness to this God he had found that day, "'It's in your hands, sir.' And he added, But I'll do my part of what's to be done. So passed the night. Chapter 15 At dawn Black Paul rose and dressed himself. Though he had not slept, he was not weary. Strength had flowed into him during the night, and happiness and peace and a great love of life. When light began to come through the cabin ports, he felt a hunger to be on deck with the sea wide about him, and the wind upon his cheek. He wanted to meet the new sun with something like a prayer. He felt this new day of the world was also a new day in his life. He dressed slowly. There was a certain lassitude upon him. He was strong, but he enjoyed tasting this strength in sips. He made no quick motions. He buttoned his garments with steady, sure fingers. He took a certain joy in merely watching the perfect functioning of these fingers of his, and he thought how wonderful an instrument is the human hand. He liked the rough feeling of his shirt about his throat. He liked the snug belt that circled his waist. There was comfort in the harsh strength of the familiar shoes he drew upon his feet. He washed himself, and he combed and brushed his hair. He was accustomed to wear his coat loose, his shirt open at the throat, but this day he buttoned the shirt and put on a tie that he had not worn for months, and he buttoned his coat about him. He laughed at himself for doing these things. Like a bridegroom going to his wedding, he said cheerfully. But why not, Black Paul? Why not? He had marked a hole in his woolen socks when he drew them on, and he thought Ruth would mend his socks for him now. That would be a pleasant thing. All life lay pleasantly before him, marred only by Red Paul, his son. He would not think of Red Paul now. That issue might be postponed. This day was for happiness. Happiness was a new thing to Black Paul. He wished to drink deep of it. He went out of his cabin and paused in the doorway and looked back at the familiar belongings. This was his farewell to them and it may have been the man felt this was true, for he looked longer than the simple fittings of the cabin seemed to warrant, and there was a wistful twist to his smile. In the main cabin, he stopped again and looked about. Ruth's door was closed. She would be still asleep. He wanted to go in and kiss her as she slept, but he would not. Dan Darren was in his cabin also, asleep, no doubt. And black paul smiled. He could hear the missionary snoring softly. Even the most spiritual of men may snore. Black paul chuckled at the thought. There was a book on the cabin table which Ruth had been reading the night before. Black paul picked it up and looked at it and laid it down again. His eyes roved around the familiar place. He was loath to leave it. He went reluctantly to the companion at last and climbed to the deck. Red Paul was there, on the break of the quarter, talking with Spies. The sailor had a bucket on a rope, and he and two or three of the men were scrubbing down the deck from the quarter forward. When they heard Black Paul, the two men looked toward him, and Spies turned to his work. Red watched his father. The sun was just breaking above the horizon. Black Paul glanced toward it Cast an eye about the sky. A fair wind, Red, he said good-humoredly. Are you thinking we'll be ready to get away this day? Red studied the skies and he bit at the back of his hand. I don't know, he said. You've done the work quickly, said Black Paul. A good job of it. Red looked at his father and grinned, as though the older man were lying, and he knew it. I'm pleased with it. "'Black Paul added. "'Red said, "'It's well you're pleased.' "'There was a sardonic threat in his tone. "'But Black Paul ignored it. "'He was in no mood to take swift offense at trifles. "'He walked to the after-rail and stood there alone. "'Presently he came back to where Red was and said idly, "'Red, I'm thinking I'll quit the sea after this cruise.' "'Red Paul said, grinning, Ay, you're getting old. Black Paul shook his head good humouredly. No, 'tis not that so much but the sea irks me. I'd like to keep my feet on dry land for a spell before I die. You'll find few to take on land what they take at sea, said the mate. The captain smiled. Aye, the sea's rough. Maybe there's no need of so much roughness on land. And he added, looking at Red, it's like you'll have the ship when I step out, Red. Red looked swiftly toward where Spies was working, but Black Paul did not mark the glance. It's like, Red agreed curtly. Black Paul turned then, and considered his son with thoughtful eyes. And at last he said, Red, I've been thinking. You and I have not always jibed as father and son should jibe. Red looked at his father silently. "'I'm sorry for that, son,' said Black Paul. "'It's not a fitting thing. "'Like it's been mostly my fault, too. "'I've not been all to you that I should, "'not led you as wisely as I should. "'I'm sorry for these things,' Red Paul. "'There was no softness in Red's voice when he replied. "'I've no wines to make,' he said. "'I can hold my end against any man. "'I'm sorry we fought a space ago.' said Black Paul gently. Red's lips drew back. We'll not fight again, said Black Paul. Not my son and I. I say, Red, that for every wrong I've done you, I'm sorry this day. If there was an appeal in his voice, Red did not respond. There was no melting in the mate's eyes. There was only black hate, and when the father saw this in the face of the son, he turned away. He was suddenly weary. When Black Paul turned away from Red Paul, he stepped down from the quarter to the main deck. He started forward toward the waist of the ship, driven by the desire to escape that which he saw in Red Paul's eyes. Spies was on his hands and knees on the deck, his bucket of water by his side. As Black Paul passed him, Spies tipped the bucket so that a sudden flood of water poured out. Intentionally or not, it wet the captain's shoes automatically, as though from long habit, Black Paul kicked out at the kneeling man and swore at him, then passed on. As he moved on toward the waist of the ship, his back was turned to spies. The man got noiselessly to his feet. He lifted the heavy bucket by the rope and swung it in a whistling, circling arc. It came down on Black Paul's head. If it had struck squarely, It must have crushed his skull. But it struck in such fashion that his head met the side of the bucket, and the stout pail flew to pieces under the force of the blow. It did not kill Black Paul, but it stunned him. He was not unconscious, but his senses reeled, and he fell forward on his face. He tried, automatically, to get to hands and knees, and rise and turn. But while he was on hands and knees, Spies leaped on his back. Then the man drove his knife to the hilt between Black Paul's shoulders. End of chapters 14 and 15.